Welcome to another episode of Something Rhymes with Purple. This is a podcast all about words and language, where words come from, and where language can take us. And today, me, Giles Brandreth, and my companion, the lexicographer Susie Dent, are going to explore an extraterrestrial world, the world beyond us, the world of UFOs, unidentified flying objects. Susie Dent, have you ever seen such a thing? Do you believe in such things? I think I have to. I mean, I think we have to believe that there is life beyond us. It seems incredibly arrogant to assume that we are the only living beings in this grand universe of ours. I think according to um, opinion polls, about a third of us do believe in alien life, if you like. And as to whether I've seen something, well, I did have quite a strange encounter, but I completely rationalised it in my head. But I was happily driving along the most where it was night time. And To my left was a big field and, no joke, something that looked absolutely like a spaceship came and landed on that field. Absolute classic E.T. type stuff. And I remember looking at other drivers and thinking, are you not seeing this? And everyone looked completely... Anyway, I've rationalised it. I think it must have been in the sort of early days of drones. But it had the flashing lights. It had absolutely everything. But it was so blatant in front of everybody that I just thought, absolutely has to be in a drone but it was very odd I just remember thinking where am I it was really odd how about you well I first began to think about this in the 1950s because I was as a child traveling across France by train going for some holiday with an exchange family but I was on my own and the train was stopped and we were all invited to get out of the train onto the track to look up into the sky and to see what we were told was the first space satellite, Sputnik. Oh, yeah. And it was going to be near enough the Earth for us to be able to see this thing. It was a Russian satellite that had been sent around the world, and this was mm. considered a phenomenon. And after I'd seen this Sputnik in the distance, just a sort of faint light, uh, I began, when I was small, to regularly see things apparently in the skies. But I can't pretend they ever landed near me or that steps then came down from the side of the craft (laughs) and small green people um, emerged I would have loved that to have happened so so no but you're right the universe is so great the possibility of other creatures we must accept that it's there mustn't we I think so. I mean, obviously, I have no idea how these things work, but I think the Ministry of Defence here in the UK first began to investigate UFO reports at the height of the Cold War, didn't they? And I think maybe then they were concerned not so much about invasion from outer space, but from behind the Iron Curtain. Yeah. So many of the amazing stories, including the you know the Roswell incident, etc. Uh, remind me of that. The Roswell incident is it happened in 1947 in New Mexico and it has invited so many different conspiracy theories. But the US government said that debris that was found on the ground there was actually balloon debris. So it basically came from a kind of satellite balloon. But then other people immediately thought that the truth had been covered up by the US government, that this was a flying saucer. And the Roswell Army Airfield issued this press release saying they had recovered a flying disc. And then they quickly retracted that statement and said it was a a weather balloon. And so it has attracted so many different theories as to what actually happened. And it's probably the most exhaustively investigated claim of a UFO, I think. And many people will say it's been debunked now, but it was pretty big. 
Well, people have been looking at the possibilities of these things for hundreds of years, and yeah. in Victorian times became very popular with writers like Jules Verne turning these extraterrestrial possibilities into great stories. We're here to explore the language, so let's begin doing that. A UFO, unidentified flying object, what's the origin of that? How far back does that go? To the 1940s or before then? So obviously all to do with science fiction really and so a lot of, of the ones that we're going to cover today first appeared in the stories of science fiction as opposed to people beginning to talk about them in real life. So 1950s originally in the US but you know even some of the early ones here you'll find an airline pilot I think magazine from 1953 and it says the UFO is estimated to be between 12,000 and 20,000 feet above the jets. Mm. So it kind of replaced Flying saucers, really. And flying saucer, again, very much a sort of central tenet, I suppose, of um, science fiction. That's only a decade earlier. First report there is from the Times, 8th of July 1947. During the past fortnight, reports that dish-like objects, nicknamed flying saucers, have been seen travelling through the air at great speed and have come from the United States and Canada. Mm. I mean, did they always look like flying saucers? Interesting that they should be saucer-shaped. Yeah, there's a great podcast, I don't know if you've listened to it, it's called Uncanny, and if anyone likes ghost stories, I recommend it, because it basically takes a particular incident or phenomenon, such as, I don't know, uh, reports of a poltergeist, etc., and it kind of investigates those, and it's very much a kind of group interactive thing. It's really good. Anyway, there is one in there of a group of school children in Wales seeing a UFO. I think we're talking about, I don't know, a whole class of school children. And everybody described it in the same way. And it was very much a flying saucer, essentially, with kind of flashing lights and that kind of thing. Some of them saw it as being cigar shaped, but they all saw it. But it's seen by many as a kind of the result of mass suggestion and that all the kids kind of went off and talked to each other about it and sort of then subliminally kind of agreed on a shape and things. But the flying saucer, I mean, that shape, I think, has been sort of pretty much enshrined in science fiction hasn't it for quite a long time and the one that I saw from the motorway was pretty much that shape although it had a sort of dome at the top I mean it really was absolute textbook um, UFO the one that I saw but it just I still can't believe it was it was just a very strange strange thing what is the date for the first use of the word flying saucer uh, 1947 1947 very good. yeah extraterrestrial that predates ET but how by how much <laughs> Are you a fan of E.T.? I loved E.T. Yeah, I'm with you. Because it's a sentimental story, really. It is about extraterrestrials, but in a way, it's just a, a charming uh, folk story. But, oh, yes. it's absolutely gorgeous. So, yes, obviously it did predate E.T. and extraterrestrial goes back to 1868. Oh. It's actually talking more in terms of astronomy and meteors as opposed to things that come from beyond this Earth in the sense that we might use it today and certainly that it was used in ET. But yeah, 1868, so quite a long time. The word alien obviously means foreign, doesn't it? Yes, from elsewhere, yeah. From elsewhere. So when do we start calling people from elsewhere aliens in the sense of space 
type aliens. Oh, okay. So it was used for a foreigner, if you like, yeah. in the 14th century. So it's pretty old from that point of view. In sense of something being strange, unfamiliar or different is an adjective. That's also the 14th century. Gosh. And in science fiction, though, uh, as in an intelligent being from another planet, an extraterrestrial, it's 1929 in sci-fi stories. The alien ship it talks of. Yes, the alien ship, because the idea, I mean, as well as flying saucers, you have spaceships. Yes. And they're not called space planes or, or space buses, space taxis. They're called space ships. Yes. Is Are there you a reason ask for me that? Why? Um, yeah. yeah, I actually genuinely don't know the answer to that. It's a spacecraft. I suppose it was maybe coined on the pattern of an airship. And an airship is, you know, huge and it's got this kind of rigid very long structure and it was propeller driven so maybe that idea of a ship that then kind of bled into the idea of a spaceship that would be my guess and the alarming notion that these spaceships would land and then they would abduct people from earth to take them back to mars where i don't know quite why the people always seem to be green the people from mars <laughs> little little green people yes uh, why, why are they green i wonder the people from mars absolutely no idea um, i think ludicrous the purple people who are real sci-fi lovers they will probably be able to tell us you know which representations of aliens really really stuck in the popular imagination and, and then sort of became these stereotypes if you like but to have obviously means to be led away goes back to the latin ducere meaning to lead and goodness that's given us so many words in english that's given us deduce which is to draw or lead a conclusion from something uh, to educate which is to lead somebody out to introduce which is to bring or lead into to produce is lead forward and so on and so on to seduce which is to lead someone away from duty so lots and lots and lots but what about food fighters i've Almost not got beyond a childhood comic that I used to read called The Evil. Oh, yeah. And this featured a spaceman hero called Dan Dare. Uh, and he had an enemy called the Green Mekon. It was first published in 1950, the comic, and it went on till the end of the 60s. I think they tried to relaunch it a few times. But there were marvellous stories, brilliantly illustrated. And that was my introduction to science fiction. And I don't think I really ever got beyond that. So Foo Fighters are beyond my ken. Tell me all about them. Who are they? What are they doing? Okay, so the Foo Fighters are a band, really, really popular band. Very sad news recently that Taylor Hawkins, their drummer, incredible drummer, died back in March. I, I follow, I mean, I knew I knew about that. I didn't know they had mm. to do with the space. I read about this poor man. But what have they got to do with extraterrestrials and the uh, other well, worlds? Foo Fighter. It became a slang term for an alien spaceship uh. or a UFO. And you have to go back to the nonsense word foo, which kind of emerged in the 1930s. And it was first used by, you're talking about cartoons, it was first used by the cartoonist Bill Holman. And he had a fireman cartoon, which was called Smoky Stover. And he would put lots of foo signs and puns in there. And Smokey Stover was then obviously clearly very, very popular, a bit like the eagle, I'm sure. And so the term foo was borrowed from that comic by a radar operator. Now, he was in the 415th Night Fighter Squadron. And he was the one who gave the foo fighter their name, I suppose, the foo, not, not the band, but the foo fighter term. So... He essentially said that he and a co-pilot had sighted a red ball of fire, which appeared to chase them 
through a variety of high-speed manoeuvres and they just could not work out what was going on. And Myers apparently became extremely agitated and when they landed, he, according to the story, had a copy of the comic strip tucked in his back pocket and pulled it out, slammed it down on the desk and said it was another one of those fucking Foo Fighters and stormed out. So it's said that he was the one who coined the term, if you like, for UFOs and alien flight crafts based on that Smokey Slover cartoon. And I'm not quite sure why the band chose it. It was quite a good name for a band, I would say. It's a very good name for a band. Yeah. Very good. Okay. Well, give me some more. Well, there's... Area 51, I think Area 51 would be quite well known to anyone who's really interested in UFOs. So this is a place in the Nevada desert, and it is a site of the US government's secret military technology and testing. So it's a test and training facility. So it would have spy planes, drones, etc. And it essentially has, again, because it's so it's so wrapped up in secrecy, it's helped fuel many conspiracy theories. So most famous is the claim that the site, and this goes back to Roswell again, that we mentioned in New Mexico, that yes. it hosted an alien spacecraft and the bodies of its pilot. But again, as I say, US government completely debunked that. But others claim to have seen UFOs near that site. Some say they've been abducted by aliens and experimented upon before being returned to Earth, etc. So Area 51 has become a bit of a shorthand for a place where strange phenomena happen. What about crop circles? Have you ever seen a crop circle? I have. I've seen photographs of them. Okay. I've actually seen one and they're really interesting. So crop circles, these flattened crops, aren't they, that are said to have been caused by landing aircraft. And that term goes back to the 1980s. And lots and lots of theories. I don't think anyone has completely worked out how crop circles came about, but most people think they have evolved through human hand rather than alien hands and that actually some of them are hoaxes some of them i mean they're incredibly elaborate that's what's so extraordinary but crop circles have been said by many to just miraculously appear overnight and so the assumption is that they have been marked there by you know they are the the sort of remains if you like of the imprints of an alien spaceship but really really interesting they i remember they were really big in the 80s and 90s i was assumed that they were local farmers getting into their tractors and creating them overnight because you, you get them that are interesting shapes as well as being in circles don't you You do. But I mean, quite how they could come up with very, very elaborate things in that space of time, I'm not sure. But as I say, I mean, I think, you know, it depends which side of the fence you want to sit on for those. But they are incredible. Whose ever hand was behind them, they are absolutely incredible to look at. Would you ever be brave enough to go up in a spaceship if you, you know, found yourself as a a friend of um, Jeff Bezos or Richard Branson and said, fancy a ride, I can take you to Mars. Would you get onto the plane with them? Absolutely not. No, I think I'd get so claustrophobic. You're not a natural space cadet. Not a natural space cadet. Were they characters in Star Trek? I never got into Star Trek. I always got confused between Mr. Spock and Dr. Spock. Dr. Spock was the child uh, doctor who was very famous because he wrote a book about childcare that we used to bring up our children on. But Mr. Spock then came along and he was played by Leonard Nimoy, I know, on television and then on screen. Had pointy ears. And it's Star Trek that gives us the language of the Klingon. Yes. Is that right? Tell me about about Star Trek, it's more your generations, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I loved Star Trek. I used to be just a regular watch, but I didn't follow it as many people did. So, I mean, there are real, like Doctor Who, I mean, they're real, real Star Trek fans, aren't there? Apparently, you can learn Klingon on Duolingo on the, on the app, <laughs> which is really interesting. Klingon is really complicated because... 
it kind of relies on the fact that it is very, very different to other languages. And also it's quite specific. So there are lots and lots of words relating to warfare and weaponry and cursing. There's quite a big variety of cursing as well and lots of in-jokes as well. So it's quite a complicated language, but some people have really learned it fluently. I can't believe that if there are aliens and creatures from other... Why, why would they be speaking at all? Could well be done in other ways. You know, they could think something and you could think it too. They could communicate by, you know, touching your nose and that would, through the tip of their green fingers, that oh would God, communicate. Uh, you might, they might, you, well, you'd still have a nose. Uh, they yes, might not true. have and they'd be, fe- they'd be feeling your nose with their digits, uh, if they have digits. I mean, it's all, it's, it's just too funny for words. But people with brilliant imaginations do create these worlds and people get completely hooked on them, don't they? Yeah. I mean, I would genuinely be really, really interested in looking at all the now declassified information on military UFO sightings. And I suspect that the purple people will know a lot more about this than we do. But there is absolutely no doubt that there are lots and lots of recorded instances of unexplained objects. And some may have explanations from meteorology or astronomy, but a lot of them probably wouldn't. So I would absolutely love to look at some of the evidence for this, because as we say, I think there is bound to be something out there, but possibly not green. Well, if you are a purple person with something to contribute, or even better, if you are a purple person from outer space, if you are an alien listener, we are here with open arms, ready to welcome you into the purple family. Do get in touch. If you can use conventional means, that will be easier (laughs) for us. It's simply an email to purple at something else.com. And it's something else without a G in the something. Absolutely. So that would be good. And just to remind people as well about our extra content too which you can find if you are interested jazz and i have done various little bits and bobs haven't we of subjects that are close to our hearts swearing for me and poetry for you (laughs) i would say (laughs) yes that's the difference between us and and you can get hold of this by joining the club as it were it's 189 a month and you get all the episodes ad free and you get discount codes on the merch and things like that as well as access to these exclusive extra episodes so that's all fun but uh, you also get a break we throw in a break (laughs) no extra charge okay i've just got take a call there's some little green people on line two i must just oh, have a okay, word say hi for me welcome back to something rhymes with purple and we're coming now to i think jazz this is probably my favorite part of each episode which is when we hear from the purple people and just look at their emails and their questions because it always sends me scurrying off in different directions and uh, we have one i think yeah, from totally. ian farthing a purple person dear Susie and giles I've heard that when an actor plays a role, the term derives from Shakespearean times when paper was scarce and it was too expensive to give each actor a whole script. So they gave him a cue script, which was just those actors' lines and the preceding couple of cue words. When the parts were being handed out to the actors for rehearsal, they would be given their cue script rolled up in a scroll. So you might be given a big role or a small role, depending on how many lines you had. Is this true? Thank you, Ian, who, as you could probably tell, is from Canada, from um, Vancouver in British Columbia. What do you reckon, Giles? You might know this one, actually, with your deep knowledge of Shakespeare, etc. I reckon that this is a long-standing urban myth. That's my instinct. But you have done the research and you can give us the definitive answer. Sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? I am delighted to say that actually this is true. Oh. It's like an elaborate episode of Call My Bluff because in the 
Early 17th century, the word roll with the circumflex or a, a little hat above the O came over from French into English. And that in turn does go back to an old French word, roule, meaning a roll. And this was indeed originally the roll of paper on which the actor's part was written. So roll, as in R-O-L-E, and roll, R-O-L-L, are actually very, very close siblings and very intimately linked when it comes to the theatre. And it reminded me as well of, of a rigmarole. You know, a rigmarole is a sort of palaver, isn't it? It's a lengthy, complicated procedure. And that goes back to ragman roll. And a ragman roll was originally a legal document that recorded a whole list of offences, but it was again in scroll form. So you would unroll it and you would look at the entire list of offences and other legal cases that were on there. And because it was so long and slightly unmanageable, rigmarole became the long rambling thing that we associate it with today. Oh, well, that's fascinating. And I wouldn't have discovered that if it had not been for that intriguing inquiry there. So thank you very much indeed, Ian Farthing in Vancouver. We're going to stay international for our next letter, which comes from Joseph Fry. And we're going to stay in a way in the world of Shakespeare, because I think immediately of Sir Toby Belch, the character in Shakespeare's play Twelfth Night. You'll see why. Hi, Giles and Susie. I'm riding from Cincinnati, Ohio, and I'm also an avid purple person. Thank you. The other day... I was thinking of the three words belly, belt, and belch. I found it interesting that all three begin with B-E-L and are related to the stomach waist area in one way or another. I was wondering if these three words have related etymologies or is this just pure coincidence? Mm. Well, what is the answer for Joseph? I'm not sure if it's pure coincidence because I always hesitate before saying no absolutely no connection whatsoever because at some point as you know the word detectives and the word detection carry on and so it's quite possible that there will be some ancient ancient route perhaps in this sort of reconstructed language that we have called Proto-Indo-European where we will find some connection but they did all start off with something very different so I'll go with belt first that did look very different. It goes back to an old English word, but ultimately a Latin word, baltius. So not with an E, B-A-L-T-E-U-S, which meant a girdle. And actually, you know um, Baldrick in Blackadder, the brilliant, brilliant comedy series that was called Baldrick? The character, yes, played by Tony Robinson, yep. Yes. So Baldrick was, it might possibly go back to the same idea, this Baltius in Latin, because a Baldrick was a belt for a sword, which was worn over one shoulder and reached down to the opposite hip. That was a Baldrick. That was why Baldrick was so named. So probably a link there. Then we're going to go to belch. Now that is probably simply imitative of doing a belch or a burp. And in Old English, it was similar, belcherton. So that one, it pretty much reproduces its sound. And then we have belly which again is apparently unrelated. So that goes back to the old English bellig, B-E-L-I-G, which came, as you can probably tell, from German. And a bellig was a bag. And the idea is of something being full or swollen or sort of quite inflated, which is why quite often your belly gets very big and very full. So three very, very different routes into English. And I suspect certainly not in recent times linguistically speaking and there, there is no connection but who knows maybe going all the way back there may be a few threads here and there 
An intriguing question, uh, prompting some very interesting answers. Thank you, Susie. And thank you for corresponding with us. Wherever you are in the world, if you want to get in touch, the easiest way is to email us. It's purple at somethingelse.com. And we do see all the emails and we, well, we cover as many of them as we can in each episode. But we have to find time also for all the other good things we have to offer, which always includes a trio of intriguing words researched and loved, uh, cherished, and shared with us by Susie Dent. What are your three words this week? Well, Giles, are you a pingler? Do you play with your food? Do you sort of eat in a slightly picky way or do you just tuck in? A pingler is somebody who plays with their food, a pingler. That's not my word, actually. I think it's been one of my words before. No, I know. It has been. And does it relate to épingle, which is the French word for a a kind of uh, pin that you put in your hair, a needle in your hair? Yeah. Épingle, pingle? It probably is possibly related in that you just sort of take little teeny tiny bits as if you're sort of pricking with a needle. But what do you eat heartily when you eat? At the moment, I'm pingling more okay. because I, I'm on my low-carb <laughs> diet, as I was sharing with yes. people the other day, and that means no bread, rice, pasta or potato, And but I take whatever I'm given, and so I poke about on the plate. And usually, the meal ends up, I look as if I'm leaving more than I've actually eaten oh. because I'm picking out the odd pea that I'm allowed to eat. Oh, no, a little bit of spinach grim. here, and I poke the potatoes and the sauce to the side. Okay. Mm. Well, I think you need a bit of tachyphagia then. Um, tachyphagia. Who? Who? T-A-C-H-Y... P-H-A-G-I-E. And tachyphagia is fast eating. So it's eating really, really quickly. Ah. Dogs, some cats, not mine. They are guilty of tachyphagia. And And my son. son. Yes. They they sit there, just gobble it all down. Yeah. Instead of savouring it. Oh, dear. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. Okay, so that's the first one, tachyphagia. Another food one. Any purple person who has listened to this and has been pregnant at some point might recognise the word pika. And a pika is a slightly strange craving that is particularly associated with pregnancy. I didn't really get any strange ones. I just wanted lots of cake, I remember. But pika here is a reference to the magpie and the magpie's omnivorous appetite. And if you look in medical textbooks from centuries ago, you will find that pika was not only ascribed to pregnancy, but also to hysteria and insanity. Pika, just because, of course, it was a woman's ailment and then it was consequently sort of as being slightly hysterical. And my last one kind of describes me today. I'm quite coldy, don't really feel I'm on top of things. So I'm a bit afflunters. Afflunters is A-F-L-U-N-T-E-R-S and it means in a state of disorder. I like that. And how long has that been around, the word of flunters? Oh, that's dialect, so I suspect at least two, two or three hundred years. Very good. Well, I've been pondering about what poem to share with you, and I've failed to uh, find the lyrics that I wanted to read to you as a poem. Often I find that song lyrics work very well as poetry, particularly if it's by a great songwriter like Cole Porter. You can read almost any of his song lyrics out as poems, and they work very effectively. In the 1950s, when I first saw my first Sputnik, and when I was reading the Eagle comic mm-hmm. and discovering you know, that world of sci-fi, Uh, There was a very successful musical running in London. It ran in New York as well, called Salad Days. For many years, it was the longest-running musical in the history of British theatre, written by two people, Julian Slade and Dorothy Reynolds, uh, who I got to know. And indeed, many years later, Julian Slade and I wrote a show together. 
about A.A. Milne and Christopher Robin, uh, Ali Jones, now father of the famous mm. international film star, yeah. uh, Amelia Jones. He played Christopher Robin in this musical. Anyway, I was a friend of Julian Slade and Dorothy Reynolds. They wrote Salad Days. And in Salad Days, the hero has a variety of uncles, one of whom is a spaceman. That's the point of the story. And he's called Uncle Zed. And he's got a flying saucer. And there was a wonderful song about that flying saucer. Did you ever see your saucer? As saucy as mine. If you want to see a fly a saucer, the saucer's quite divine. I can't remember the words, and I can't remember the tune, and I can't sing it. But I'm very much hoping that Lawrence, our brilliant producer, will do a little bit of research and will be able, at this stage, to play a snatch of this wonderful song, Uncle Zed's saucer song from Salad Days. You never saw a saucer so saucy as mine. You never saw a saucer that's even half as fine. What joy and pride it is to ride upon my astral courser. Oh, aren't I clever? Nobody ever saw such a saucy saucer. Oh, isn't he clever? Nobody ever saw such a saucy saucer. It's a very charming, witty song about being a spaceman in a spaceship. Ah. That is excellent. The poem I'm going to share with you is really relates to the poem I did last week. As you remember, last week I spoke my own poem about how to lose two pounds a week. Well, not everyone approves of people watching their weight. Some people think this is not a good thing to do. And indeed, my experience is often I take off the weight, then I put it straight back on. Anyway, there's a marvellous poem called Against Dieting by Blake Morrison. So I thought as a counterpoint to what I read last week, this week... I should share this with you. Against Dieting by Blake Morrison. Please, darling, no more diets. I've read the book on why it's good for one's esteem. I've watched you jogging lanes and pounding treadmills. I've even shed some kilos of my own. But enough. What are love handles between friends? For half a stone, it isn't worth the sweat. I've had it up to here with crisp bread. I doubt the premise, too. Try to see it from my point of view. I want not less, but more of you. I like that. A nice poem, it isn't is it? It is a nice yeah. one. Really sweet. Thank you so much to everybody who has listened to us today and followed us through our Hate the Word journey when it's used like this. But you have been there for us throughout our... How many shows is it now? Oh, hundreds. Two, hundreds. Hundreds. There's a whole back catalogue. My personal trainer, I use the word uh, rather loosely, my friend Tamsin, who uh, sometimes exercises with me, she only discovered us a few months ago and she's been working her way gradually oh. and, and she does it every evening when she's making supper. She listens to a different episode. She's almost caught up. Oh, well, hello to Tamsin. So thank you for that. And uh, do please keep getting in touch. We love your questions. As I say, favourite part of the show for me. Purple at somethingelse.com is the email address. Purple at something without the G else.com. Something Rhymes with Purple was Giles, produced by Lawrence Bassett and Harriet Wells, with additional production from Chris Skinner, Jen Mystery, Jay Beale, and what can we say? Oh, well, he was the original Aflunter. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> it's Gully. He's all over the shop. <laughs> <laughs>